We're back. This is Caroline Nickerson, one of the producers from the Citizen Science Podcast. We recorded some of these interviews earlier this year to delve into the rich citizen science facilitated by cultural heritage institutions. In the midst of a global pandemic, the value of online citizen science projects is even more poignant, connecting us in an effort to unearth new discoveries from global collections together, even when we're physically apart. Podcast producer Justin Shell is at the helm this episode, taking you on a journey across platforms and projects, from ways you can participate every day in digitization projects like Notes from Nature, to the annual We Dig Bio event series, which runs from October 15th to the 18th this year. Enjoy, and thank you for turning your curiosity into impact with citizen science. In our first episode, talking about how libraries, archives, and museums engage with community and citizen science, Richard Smart talked about a conception people may have about natural history museums. The idea of a natural history museum in some people's minds is it's grandma's attic. It's a place of these amazing treasures, but it's old treasures and there's nothing new being added to the museum or that the information that they have on display is very well known and there's no new information even being gained on the study of those objects. In that episode, Richard, when he worked at the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles, and staff from the Maricopa County District Library discussed how they integrated community and citizen science into their programs, encouraging members of their communities to get engaged with important scientific research. By doing so, they offered a different vision of how people can engage and create science in libraries, museums, and other cultural heritage institutions. In this episode, we're going to dig into the cabinets and shelves of museums around the world, looking at how different institutions use crowdsourcing to better realize the potential of natural history collections for research and education. Specifically, we'll look at Notes from Nature, a project that utilizes the Zooniverse crowdsourcing platform to transcribe and make more accessible biodiversity information. To get us started with Notes from Nature, I spoke with Michael Denslow. My name is Michael Denslow. I am the project coordinator for the Notes from Nature project. Like many projects we've talked about on this podcast, Notes from Nature started pretty informally, with like-minded people applying separately for some seed money to explore digitization and crowdsourcing of biological collections. Several of us, I say us as in natural history collection people, sort of applied or you know reached out regarding this seed money to start some citizen science projects. And what happened was they smartly said, hey, you know, we got a bunch of people that have similar interests. One deals with plants and one deals with insects, but you know, they seem to sort of be similar. So maybe we should get together and talk. Eventually, these conversations led to a large grant from the National Science Foundation, which allowed for greater infrastructure and platform development. And while the main project leads for Notes from Nature are based at institutions in Florida, it works with collections and people from around the world. If you go to the site today, you'll see projects based on institutional collections from across the United States and Canada. As I mentioned before, Notes from Nature utilizes the Zooniverse platform. We've talked about Zooniverse before on the show. But if this is your first time hearing about it, it's a crowdsourcing platform with more than 2 million volunteers around the world who contribute to projects ranging from astronomy to history to paleontology to ecology. Around 15,000 registered volunteers on the Zooniverse platform have made nearly 900,000 classifications on photographed or otherwise digitized flora and fauna records as part of Notes from Nature. These classifications most often take the form of transcribing information on what's called a specimen label. This is a small piece of paper that has information about the flora or fauna that was collected. Sometimes this is typed, other times it's handwritten. Typical information includes what species it is, where and when it was found, who found it, and more. Volunteers will transcribe these different fields of data, and these transcriptions are then aggregated and checked for accuracy. 
After the data is processed, it goes into large databases of species information to facilitate a variety of research projects, some of which we'll talk about later in the show. I should add that Zooniverse is not the only platform that people can participate in these kinds of projects. The Library of Congress, the Smithsonian, and other institutions around the world have their own platforms that you can check out and contribute to. We'll have some links to these in our show notes. To get a better sense of both the importance and popularity of these kinds of projects on Zooniverse, I spoke with Sam Blickhan. My name is Sam Blickhan, and I am the Humanities Research Lead for Zooniverse.org. Sam's PhD is in musicology, but as part of the Zooniverse team, she's worked with projects ranging from natural history collections to Supreme Court documents to anti-slavery manuscripts. In all of these different projects, though, she sees a commonality. The really nice thing about crowdsourcing and public participation with cultural heritage materials is that people are really enthusiastic and interested and excited about these projects. People who do volunteer for these types of projects are really some of the most dedicated communities that I've seen. I mean, there are projects working with, with heritage materials that can't keep data in their projects. Like they can't add it quickly enough to keep up with their volunteers. One thing that Sam recognizes in natural history projects like Notes from Nature is just the sheer breadth of the collections themselves. Yes, there are herbaria, but there are also collections of fossils and, and insects or fungi. And I, it's actually overwhelming sometimes to think about the volume of data that's still left and remaining to be processed. It's kind of overwhelming, but in a good, in a really good way. In addition, she says, there are multiple kinds of ways that people can become engaged in the project from a variety of perspectives. You have this meta layer when you're working on these projects with heritage materials, and that not only are you thinking about the contents of something that you're transcribing or, or working on, you know, you're thinking about a particular specimen, for example, but you're also thinking about how it got to be where it where it is. So you're thinking of the history of its collection, who collected it, where were they when they collected it? How did they organize this information? How did it come to be in a digital format? The sort of history of histories also becomes really fascinating to people, and these projects make it so accessible. One of the largest organizations participating in Notes from Nature is the New York Botanical Garden. I reached out to Charles Zimmerman to talk more about the NYBG's involvement with the project. My name is Charles Zimmerman. I work as the Herbarium Collections and Outreach Administrator. I organize our citizen science program, which involves platforms like Notes from Nature and the public to try to better understand natural history specimens that tell us stories about plants on our planet. The New York Botanical Garden has an estimated 7.8 million specimens in their collection. I say estimated because the institution is still in the process of counting all the specimens they actually house. Plants, fungi, algae, anything that has been historically studied by botanists. Each of these specimens tells a unique story about a single organism living in a certain place and time. Herbarium specimens can provide a particularly unique set of data because they extend back in time. So we can look at how plants and their distributions have changed from centuries ago till today. Charles walked me through the specifics of what a volunteer does on this particular Notes from Nature project. They'll view a photograph that was taken of a specimen sheet. The specimen sheet usually has part of the plant shown with leaves, flowers, fruits, but it also has a collection label that tells where the plant was found and who found it. Participants will search on the specimen sheet for the information that 
our scientists find most valuable. In particular, we're asking them to look for geographic information and information about the year and about the place where it was found and about the person who collected it. Data created by volunteers goes into the NYBG Virtual Herbarium. This database allows not only for greater accessibility of the specimen data, but it can also facilitate volunteers learning more about that particular aspect of the collection. Every specimen that they view and help to transcribe, they can also follow a link to more information about that plant, and they can see a map of existing collections of where that plant has already been found. So they can learn more about the species that they're seeing on the page and hopefully guide them towards greater knowledge and understanding. The virtual herbarium can also help volunteers figure out hard to decipher labels. So by searching the New York Botanical Garden virtual herbarium, you can see similar specimens collected by the same collector in the same place or on the same year, which may be very relevant to the specimen that you're looking at. This is essential when a piece of information is difficult to interpret on the label, either because of its handwriting style or because there's a lot of information of different kinds and it's difficult to parse between them. The NYBG has collections from around the world. Specimens that were collected from the state of Florida are particularly interesting to Austin Mast, who heads up another Notes from Nature project, We Dig Florida Plants. I'm Austin Mast. I'm a professor in the Department of Biological Science at Florida State University. I'm also a director of FSU's Robert K. Godfrey Herbarium. The project's goal is to identify all of the specimens in the various Notes from Nature projects that were found in Florida. We're creating the most complete historical baseline that we can for the past 200 years of plant diversity and distribution in Florida. We have about 650,000 specimens digitized to date. All of this data, however, won't just be used for Austin's own individual research projects. I'm in Florida and I study plants, so I'm naturally interested in plants of Florida. But there are other groups here in Florida that have similar interests. So the Florida Native Plant Society, the Florida Master Gardeners, the Florida Master Naturalists, the Florida Wildflower Foundation. And so we were interested in seeing if we could align things in such a way that we could engage those groups and help them to further their mission. Austin and his colleagues have used a variety of in-person events to not only facilitate transcriptions and data gathering, but also to teach the volunteers about the history of the state and how these specimens were collected. So we have, for example, a game that we play called Habitat Bingo, where the bingo card is composed of terms that you might see in habitat descriptions for Florida plants. And we have a timeline tracker game in which people keep track of the years that they're seeing uh, that specimens were collected. And we have some major points in the history of exploration um, on those timelines so that they can get some sense for the, con the historical context for the collection. We use that opportunity then to talk about how would things have changed between then and now in terms of the collector's experience. So how would they have gotten to the site? And some of these collections are from the 1850s, when collectors would have probably used horses or horse-drawn carriages. They um, would not have had very precise maps. You know, people are often surprised at the age of things that they're seeing online and the timing of things. 
you know, perhaps that it was collected during the Civil War or during one of the World Wars. It's interesting because it's so deeply historical. Oftentimes, Austin runs these events with his classes at Florida State. One of his students, Fiona Pell, shared her experience of participating in one of these events. Like they made it fun so that people would want to participate and they like they would get all the, the labels entered. So because it's fun, people want to participate and then you also feel useful through that process because you know you participate in this research project kind of like make science more accessible. It's not just through these kinds of in-person events that communities develop through Notes from Nature. The main avenue for this community development is the talk feature of Zooniverse. These are discussion boards where volunteers can discuss general topics about a project, but also ask questions about individual images. And they can interact directly with researchers who help develop the project. Charles Zimmerman from the NYBG told me how volunteers on their Notes from Nature projects use the talk boards. Volunteers can communicate with one another, ask each other questions, propose interesting solutions to understand specimens um, that they've seen for others to use. They can share stories uh, that they've discovered, and they can vent their frustrations when they encounter difficulties. It's an amazing portal where volunteers have become teachers and peer mentors and discussion moderators. The kind of conversations they have is really amazing. That's where the project really flourishes. It's a core tenet of any project on Zooniverse, not just Notes from Nature, that the researchers who develop the project have to be actively engaged in conversations with volunteers. Sam Blickhan from Zooniverse again. The idea that you build a project and you launch it, that doesn't mean you sort of get to sit back and wait for your data to come flooding in. You need to be there in that space talking to people and meeting your community and answering their questions, but also doing your due diligence of showing them that there is life behind this internet project. There are people there who are using their data and who appreciate the work that they're doing. Some of the most memorable conversations for Charles happen when a volunteer discovers something particularly exciting in a specimen image. Oftentimes, a volunteer will find something abnormal that doesn't fit the pattern. And I will chime in and realize that they've discovered something really exciting, like a specimen that was collected on the Northwest Passage or a specimen that was collected by a botanist who has very little renown in history, but was one of the first female botanists to circumnavigate the globe. Michael Denslow sees this kind of work as an extension of the volunteer practices that have existed in museums for decades, but also how this kind of engagement is different when it happens online. Many of us worked at sort of brick and mortar traditional museums with volunteers that came in to do things. And it seems obvious that you would have sort of parallels with that. But when you're online, you sometimes, and people are a little more anonymous, or maybe you haven't met them, and you're not sure what their interests are, you have a tendency to sometimes kind of have some distance, if you will. And so I think a lot of times it comes back to those initial ideas. You know, how would you treat someone that had walked into your office and was curious about the work that you you were doing? How would you not only engage them initially, but try and keep them, you know, find out what are the things about it that interest them. The thing that's so fascinating, I think, about this universe is that there's so many people who really want to be there. They really want to engage with this stuff. They want to know the science you're doing. There have been more than 15,000 registered volunteers who have participated in Notes from Nature since it first went online. 
One of these volunteers is Colta Ives. My name is Colta Ives, and I've been volunteering for the New York Botanical Garden for about uh, two years and uh, working on transcribing information about botanical specimens that are in the herbarium. Before she retired, Colta was a curator of drawings and prints at the Metropolitan Museum, and her work there often brought her to the Botanical Garden. I'm a regular visitor there at the gardens. I've done a lot of research in the library. I have done some studies about um, botanical history and its um, impact on art, and particularly in the 19th century, where painters like the Impressionists became so interested in all the new plants that were being introduced into, into France. I, I always thought, well, after I retire from the art museum, I'm going to go to the plant museum. <laughs> and, uh, I went to one of these programs, and Charlie was giving uh, his spiel on, um, you know, up on his soapbox, we need people to transcribe these records. And I said, count me in. When I spoke with her, she shared an unexpected connection she discovered through her work at both the Met Museum and the Botanical Garden. In our storage area for the, for the works on paper, they were matted and placed in solander boxes. And it, do you know the origin of solander boxes? They were for botanical specimens, and they're named after a botanist who, I guess, must have crafted this form of box for botanical collections. So I always thought about our, our prints being in the same kind of boxes that plants were in. You don't need to know anything about solander boxes to participate in Notes from Nature, though. Another volunteer actually became a moderator for the talk boards, even though she had no scientific training before she started transcribing specimen labels. Her name is Anne, but she's probably more familiar to Notes from Nature volunteers by her Zooniverse username, am.zuni. I spoke with her by phone about how she got started with Notes from Nature. Well, I started just, you know, reading the help, reading the talk boards, trying to learn from what was already out there and to do it right, you know. Then after a little time, I started to actually ask questions and other volunteers and the project team and, and the researchers who were involved with the project were all ready to answer questions, help you feel comfortable. And I started to answer questions when I knew the answer because the project team isn't there all the time. Sometimes only volunteers are logged in. And why make somebody wait? For an expert to be available, I can answer their question now. And, you know, I try to pay it forward People helped me a lot when I was new. I want to extend that to everyone else. Eventually, the project team asked her if she'd be the moderator for the talk boards for all the Notes from Nature projects. And as I started to answer questions and learn more, you know, I got to do more and more of that. It just built up that way. Notes from Nature expanded and I sort of expanded with it. You know, I've been doing this five years almost every day. I've seen pretty much all the projects that we've done at Notes from Nature over that time. Given the scale to which she's interacted with Notes from Nature volunteers, she's definitely an authority on just what kinds of people contribute their time to the project, but also how valuable those contributions are. We have people who work while they're commuting to work or school. They get on their tablet or their laptop in the train or the bus and they can, you know, fill that time and they're contributing to Notes from Nature. It's you know, instead of just staring out the window or they could read something else, but, you know, they're, they're making a difference to science and their environment and 
preservation and all kinds of great stuff. You don't have to be a botanical expert or a museum expert to transcribe a label. You know, you, you know, you just read and type what you see, and that's excellent. That's helpful. That's valuable. I mean, something I've tried to do as talk moderator to try to encourage everyone. You know, nobody should ever feel like their question is dumb. The whole system is designed for people who don't know the subject matter. You can learn as you go, but you can make a contribution even the first minute you get there. That matters. That counts. Beyond the value for researchers in generating data, Colta and Anne both told me about what they've personally enjoyed learning about through their work on Notes from Nature. Well, I love looking at the specimens. First of all, I mean, it's wonderful. They, they pop up on your uh, computer screen and I can zoom in on them. Some of them I recognize, most I don't. I, <laughs> so I love the variety in the plants. And then I love the fact that many of them were collected over a century ago. It seems to me so amazing that they are surviving so so beautifully. And I'm, I'm finding it so interesting, the uh, geography that's involved, because of course these plants have been collected all over the world. So I'm doing a lot of sort of map studying online, and that's really been something new for me. It took me like outside to look at real live plants in, around me. And I was using my, my phone, the camera zoom on my phone as a magnifying glass to get a really close look at a flower or a bud or something. And then I, I would come back and search online to figure out what was going on and ask questions of some of our botanist researchers. Now I learned a lot about plants by doing that as sort of an offshoot. And even though Sam from the Zooniverse team is involved on the platform side of these projects, she also participates in Notes from Nature as a volunteer. I'm personally fascinated by herbaria in particular. I'm an avid gardener. I really love learning about plants, but I don't in any way have sort of academic specialism there. And I feel like this has been a really interesting way to develop my own knowledge of things like biodiversity. One of the largest events that brings people together around Notes from Nature is We Dig Bio which is short for Worldwide Engagement for Digitizing Biocollections. Austin Mass told me more about what's involved in the event. That is a collaboration across multiple projects that are involved online and enabling the creation of data about collections. Zooniverse and Notes from Nature is part of Zooniverse is one of them, but also the Smithsonian Transcription Center is another the Atlas of Living Australia has their project called Digival. Uh, the Paris Herbarium has a project, and there are, there are others. We see that as a way to engage a broad audience, a global audience, in, in the creation of data. During the event, people can engage with interactive graphs of not only how many specimens have been transcribed, but also the different collections that are represented and where volunteers are located around the world. Participants can also follow along and engage on social media. Michael Denslow shared some of his favorite memories from previous WIDIG Bio events. In my mind, I keep thinking about the Field Museum, and they get so many people, in, not this year, but in, in the usual time when they're able to get people to visit, and the news media and the school groups, and they just have such a blast. And yeah, in, in the end, sure, they, they get 
tons of transcriptions, but the things you remember are the school groups coming, um, the camera crews coming, the fun that they had, you know, have these people coming to the Field Museum on a day when they wouldn't usually be there. We've had groups doing it in India and Africa and, you know, around the world and connecting with one another. And so, of course, the, the numbers are always great. I mean, we've had days where we get 10,000 transcriptions in a day, and that's amazing. But I think the thing you always think about are some of the interactions or the press clips or the stories that you hear when the event's over. As Michael mentioned, while previous iterations of WeDigBio happened at museums around the world and included interactive lectures, demonstrations, and other kinds of events for all ages, the vast majority of this year's WeDigBio will need to be virtual virtual talks, opening up, you know, a few different kinds of talks that maybe scientists or people involved in museum collections might invite the public in to, uh, to come and hear, you know, uh, some kind of interactive lecture. So yeah, it's, it's having to kind of lean a little bit more on that virtual, if you will, side of things, just trying to engage people online and have those discussions um, rather than being able to be in person as much, which we'll be able to, of course, do again, but, but it's just not, not necessarily feasible for, for a lot of folks this time around. This year's We Dig Bio will run from October 15th to the 18th. You can find out more information about virtual events and the different institutions taking part this year by visiting wedigbio.org. So what's done with all of this data generated by Notes from Nature volunteers? While there are lots of specific projects done with the data, Michael Denslow believes that a lot of the value of Notes from Nature is just making this data publicly available and accessible. We actually have a lot of people who are saying, you know, all I really want to do is get my data out to the public. I don't have necessarily a specific research outcome, but I want people to be able to see what I have. A lot of folks are trying to mobilize their data and they're trying to put the data online so that people can access it. So we now have, for example, on one of my projects, we have a data portal that has over 5 million records that anyone, anywhere, anytime can download and use. There's no restrictions to it, completely open access. Now, not every one of those records came through Notes from Nature, but many, many did. For Michael, the pandemic has made these kinds of data portals even more valuable, as researchers aren't able to access physical collections in the same way they could before. In previous times, you could go to the museum and visit, and you could always see even if it wasn't digitized. But now, these data portals are even more important because the museum might not be open yet. And so you can go online and at least see what they have and see if it's something that the digital data is useful as it is, or you'd like to somehow get a hold of those specimens in the future. And the moderator of Notes from Nature's talk boards explains how much of this research wouldn't even be possible without these digitized specimens and the greater available data that goes along with them. Research that's being done now couldn't even happen because to do a lot of research where you need to study large volumes of plants in different places to see, like, are the flowers blooming earlier, you need a lot of specimens to tell if, you know, that it's not just weather in one place one year. You need a lot of specimens over a lot of places over time. And when it wasn't digitized, these things are physical on paper, in cabinets, and a researcher would have to travel to different museums and herbariums around the country or the world and enter all the data into their little spreadsheet themselves. You know, it would be way expensive and not very many people could have the time or the money to do any sort of big data kind of work. It is our basis for putting the present in context. Austin Mastigan. It's also the basis for projecting into the future 
where things might be 10 years, 20 years from now. We have seen great advancement in the field of species distribution modeling in the last decade. And this is the major source for data for species distribution modeling. And it's best to have the most complete data set that you can when you're describing the range of something if you want to determine what the effect of climate change will be on that thing in the future. That's just one example, but there's there's a lot of value in knowing something as basic as where are the populations of this rare thing so that you can set appropriate policy guidelines or management guidelines. Charles Zimmerman from the New York Botanical Gardens also talked about the importance of having this large volume of data. Having large numbers of specimens of a single species from many different places can help scientists map distributions in order to rapidly assess their conservation status based on the extent of its occurrence. If plants cover a large area, they're more likely to be stable and less likely to be threatened by major disturbances or minor disturbances. The benefits of these kinds of projects go beyond scientific research, though, as Sam from the Zooniverse team explains. It's putting agency back into the hands of members of the public, which is a good thing, but I also think it's helping to sort of break down the sort of divide between having to have studied something diligently for 20 years and gotten X amount of degrees in it, and just being interested in the world that we live in. Those two are not that different, certainly not mutually exclusive. By inviting and encouraging people to participate in a way that is really meaningful, I think it is a really good way to show people how important not only modern life and modern nature, but thinking about history and how important the history of all these things is to our understanding of the modern world. This is even more clear when working with records like those found in Notes from Nature. When we think about engaging with records, they're a way of providing hard evidence of the changes that are happening in and to the natural world. And I think participating in crowdsourcing projects with these collections is a really powerful way of saying, here it is. This is the information that professional researchers are looking at and coming through in order to do this work and generate the data. Come and be part of that process. We trust you and we value your input. And I don't think there is anything more impactful than putting that trust in, in the hands of community members and inviting them to participate in a way that isn't patronizing and doesn't gatekeep the act of doing research. At the end of the day, for me, a lot of this is the love and appreciation of the natural world. Michael Denslow again. You know, in any way that that is valuable to you or restorative to you, then that's a great thing. So, you know, maybe this brings you to your local museum and you find something that's more tangible that you like to do. That's great. Or maybe it's seasonal for you. Um, and, you know, in the summer months, you want to be outside. That's great. My goal is to get people engaged in biodiversity and the wonder of biodiversity. And that's that's about it. Whatever direction it takes, I feel happy if, if it's been rewarding for you. Citizen Science is produced by me, Caroline Nickerson, and Justin Schell, in association with SciStarter. Music for this episode is from Blue Dot Sessions. If you haven't subscribed already, 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear your feedback on what we've done and your ideas for what we could do next. Send us a note at info at If you like the show, please rate or review us on your podcast platform of choice, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, or simply send the podcast to a friend. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon.